Do you really want your company to stand out in the crowded digital space? Do you want to get more people to know, like, and trust you with your story? Authentic Web Video Marketing Agency can help you to collect those stories, the stories that sell, connect the stories to the situation, produce the videos that you need in each of the situations, and then use the latest techniques, including video ads, retargeting, and email to deliver those video stories. Authentic Web is the video production and marketing agency trusted by top marketers to help their story stand out in a crowded space. Visit AuthenticWeb.media to learn more. In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to an awesome edition of the Garlic Marketing Show. We've got a very special marketing expert, but he's also expert on a lot of other stuff. But I mean, when I talk marketing expert, our guest today has written probably one of the predominant books on Google AdWords that help launch AdWords into where it is. And he's written a lot of the best books on marketing. I mean, he's one of the go-to experts in copywriting and the author of the 80-20 Sales and Marketing book, plus he's big into evolutionary biology, which I love. Perry Marshall, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And I can tell just from our banter two minutes ago, this is going to be a good interview. So can't wait to dive into the swimming pool so or I mean, the ice cold you know even the ice cold stream and we'll dive in naked together and we'll brave the rapids yes so if, yes. if, you, if you're if you're not seeing that if you're not watching the video you'll be able to go to youtube to see the naked stream but um <laughs> um so perry i mean you let's just do a brief overview of your background for people that don't know who you are, um, and just how you got into marketing because you didn't start out as a marketer and a salesperson, right? No, I started out as an acoustical engineer and, um, and I got laid off from my job two and a half years later. Um, while I was at that job, I designed the speakers in the Jeep Cherokee and the Honda Civic and the Chrysler Cirrus Stratus and some other cars. And so, uh, acoustics and electrical engineering, but, my wife was three months pregnant. I got laid off from my job. If I was going to stay in acoustics, I have to move out of Chicago. Didn't want to do that. So I went into sales. And, you know, I thought, oh, you know, this shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> you know, right. So two years of bologna sandwiches and ramen soup and, you know, and all of that. And, um, I, I finally got fired from my first sales job because like none of the big quotes and none of the big projects ever seemed to come through. And I spent my day pounding the phone and pounding the pavement and going to see purchasing agents and engineers and trying to pound my way in. And, uh, you know, oh. it was just. And look, you know, I, it was a learning experience and I woke up every day with really a zest for life and really wanting to, you know, learn as much as I could. But frankly, it was still uh, a bitch. OK. And um, well, so a couple things happened. Um, a um, in fact, it was it was almost exactly 20 years ago, I wandered into the Peoria, Illinois Civic Center, and they had all these people like Barbara Bush and Norman Schwarzkopf, you know, like that rodeo. And Dan Kennedy spoke at the end of the day, and he managed to levitate $300 out of my wallet, which was kind of a small <laughs> miracle at the time. And I discovered this woolly bizarro world of direct marketing um it, it was very cult-like at the time i mean it's kind of mainstream now mm -hmm. right but then it was like direct mail it's like he he's turning direct mail into like a rock star phenomenon okay which is a small miracle too 
but anyway, it was like it was the first real sales education that I had ever experienced. I had been in Amway and I had learned how to shake hands and give presentations and like do this really basic kind of stuff. But you don't learn anything about strategic sales thinking or marketing at all doing that like none right so yeah you put on a suit and and you look good and you smell good and all of that and you make nice conversations um but like is this totally different thing okay so then two other things converged with this the next thing that converged with this was when i got fired i managed to immediately land a job at this other company and this company they were very small but they were in a niche and they were growing and they were they had a good USP, okay? And they were selling this industrial stuff and they sold something fairly unique, very specialized. And the third thing that converged with that was, they. this was 1997, they had a website and the owner was willing to do experiments and the customers were ahead of the curve on being on the web because they were all engineers. And so, of course, they would be on the internet in 1997. And within a few months, my life completely transformed to, instead of pounding the phone every day, I've got emails, I've got leads coming in, I've got, you know, uh, things that come in over the mail or the fax or whatever, the phone is ringing occasionally, and I'm actually doing consultative selling instead of just like being schlepping myself around. And man, if that wasn't better than any therapy plus like literally the first month I got the biggest commission check I'd ever had. Now this still wasn't a lot of money, but it was like, it was above bologna sandwiches and ramen soup, which <laughs> when, when, when you've been, when you spent two years and your credit cards are maxed out and you've got a one and a half year old baby at home and your wife is staying at home and your 13 year old car is resting and it has holes in the muffler and you're hanging on for dear life. When all of a sudden you actually like make $5,000 in one month. Wow. <laughs> right. Like, what if I got good at this? Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, you know, what if I actually got some real skill? And so we started doing SEO. We started doing lead generation um, and a lot of kind of information marketing things that were very avant-garde at the time. And well, in four years time, I, I got vested in uh, with some equity in this company. We grew it. Um, the company got sold for $18 million. I got some stock options. I parachuted out and I hung out my shingle as a marketing consultant. In the meantime, I had done everything I possibly could with my very limited budget and everything to learn marketing really well. And so like I had a new lease on life, um, and, and I started the company that I have now. And so like, that's, that's where it came from. That's awesome. It's, it's a fantastic story. I mean, that's, that's a great story and it, it's, it's an exciting story because, it, you know, when people see that flip, right, that flip in a consultative selling, plus you're there. I mean, 1997, we were talking about the other day. That's when people got excited when they got emails. You're like, oh, I got an email. And they'd open up every email instead of going exactly. like, like two weeks ago, I declared email bankruptcy. I'm just like, delete it all. Let's start over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and I want to. You know, that the, the four years I spent at that company, I don't want to make it sound too easy. So, I mean, this was a typical, this was a one and a half million dollar a year company with, you know, uh, 10 or 12 employees and always struggling to meet payroll. They, part of our business was growing very fast. Anytime you have a part of your business is growing fast, it, it, it just consumes cash right? Because of all these things that you want to do, I never had more than two or $3,000 to do any marketing experiment at the absolute most. It always had to come back with friends attached in 60 to 90 days or less. We always had a gun to our head. You're always a little paranoid. Like, well, if, if we make any major wrong step, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to get smacked in the head. Um, it was stressful, but it was also exhilarating and exciting. Like it was the entrepreneurial adventure. I wasn't the entrepreneur, but I was the sales and marketing manager and I had the entrepreneur mentality and, 
you know, they did manage me to pay me by base in my commission. And, and I thought like, you know, I'm a part owner of this place, which is the, that was the whole idea of the stock options. And so, you know, it, it was a thrilling, scary, you know, white knuckle ride all the way, <laughs> all the way until the company got sold, which the company got sold. The, the transaction happened a month after 9-11. Wow. Okay. And so the whole summer before that, we we're like working out all the legal details and the, like the world goes into a state of suspended animation mm. for like weeks, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and it still managed to go through, which was a, a friggin' miracle as far as I'm concerned. And then, and then a really interesting thing happened. What, so, so the phones aren't ringing and everybody's in shock and nothing's happening. And, and, um, and the new company that acquired the old company offered me a job and it wasn't a very good job offer, but it was a job offer. And my wife said, Perry, this is it. Go ahead. This is your chance. Like you're getting a check. You're getting these stock options, like go out on your own. That's awesome. And I was, I was scared and I'm like, uh, but this is the womanly intuition. She's like, Perry, you've won it. Well, I wasn't quite ready to just believe her. And, and so I went, I was a member of this little private marketing discussion board on Yahoo groups. And <laughs> there was a bunch of like these Dan Kennedy guys and stuff in there. And this one guy said to me, he goes, okay, I have now built and sold three companies. And every single time they said, oh, you know, we want you to stick around and help us out. He goes, uh, 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 uh. no, no, no. Don't. He goes, take the money and run, run, run. Your old company no longer exists. It's vapor. It only exists in your imagination. It's like a divorce. <laughs> he goes, you don't care who she's sleeping with. You don't care who she's going out with. That was then. This is now. It's a new life. And him saying that to me. It was like this big reset button. I had poured my life into this thing. I was so passionate, and, and we built all these things. It was like, okay, game over. You're gone. Don't worry about what they're doing. Well, they went. They destroyed that company, okay? Uh -huh. uh, I know you've never heard of this happening, right? <laughs> they, 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 they took a wrecking ball of the whole thing, and frankly, they were all a bunch of idiots. But I got my money, and I took off. Um, and, and I, and I started my business and well, you know, here we are. I mean, what a great, what a great signature victory in my life. And, and, you know, like, I know there's people listening, like the, the your mouth is watering. You're like, Oh my God, if that could just happen to me, like, please God, I want that to happen to me. Like, I get it. Um, I totally get it. And, you know, you, you know, you you just you you really have to be selective about who you listen to, um, uh -huh. and, so and 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 they're not the loudest people in the room. I'll guarantee you that whoever you're supposed to be listening to is not the guy that's beating the loudest drum. Yep. Oh, that's. I mean, it's crucial, especially this day and age of so much information, so many experts, so many coaches, so many consultants, and it, it can make you cry. Because every person is going to have a different opinion. And yeah. I, I want to ask you, because you, you, know, you wrote the 8020 book. Obviously, you've done a ton of market research. You've done a ton of marketing. You know what's going on, what's hot. And I want to get into that a little bit. But I think you brought up an important point that we were talking about before. But that was your punctuated equilibrium, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That, I mean, that, that, Which is, yeah, that that word means sudden biological evolutionary leap is what that means. Yes, yes. There was a couple of those, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, I mean, because I think this is an important thing for people to think that, you know, and I'll, I'll put a link to punctual equilibrium because I've drawn some stuff out. But people think that there's this that your business progresses or even progresses like this, like a stock where it's a wave, but it's like boom and someplace else, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, how did is that how it felt to you? Is, I mean, was it just like boom? I get this, and it's going to happen now. There's a book called Mastery by George somebody or other. Uh, it's a not very big book. It's a great read. And it it says it talks about different kinds of people and there's like 
there's hackers and there's dabblers. And then like the fourth category is a master. And, and here's what it basically says. It says, okay, let's say you're learning to play the guitar. What it says is that you're going to practice and practice and practice and practice. And you're going to be on this plateau. All right. And it doesn't feel like you're getting any better, but you just practice and you practice. And in fact, the idea is that you you learn to appreciate practicing for the sake of practice. Mm-hmm. Like it's just what you do is you just refine your game. And he goes, and then all of a sudden something will happen and you'll have this leap and it'll go boom and then and then you're on another plateau and then you practice and practice and then there'll be a leap and it goes like this. Of course, I'm reading this and I'm going, that's punctuated equilibrium. It's that, yeah, you know, the Kaizen continuous improvement, the Kaizen continuous improvement. Meanwhile, of course, you're, you're pushing on that door. You're pushing on that door. Door is locked. Door is locked. Door is locked. And you keep pushing and pushing on the, these different doors while you continue to refine your existing game. And then all of a sudden, boom, you go to this higher level. You know, and then it starts over again. And and his whole point is that the true master learns to appreciate the process of just refining your game. And he sees value in and of itself and knowing that this is how it works. And one thing it's definitely not is it's not some just steady upward progress at a 10% slope. That's almost never how it is. Mm-hmm. And, 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 so, and so, like, okay, I'm in the sales job and I start reading the Dan Kennedy courses and stuff and learning about direct marketing and learning about lead generation. Meanwhile, my boss will barely let me do any of it because he thinks I just bought Swampland in Florida. In fact, <laughs> I came home from the seminar. I told him. And that look in his eye, like, oh, you sucker, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, some guy sold you on the idea that you don't have to make cold calls to be a sales guy, like get to work. Come on. Okay. Um, and, and, but, but, but I'm like, I was so desperate, like I'm going home and I'm studying the stuff and I'm, I'm, I, you know, and, and I'm learning it. Then all of a sudden I get a different job and now they'll actually let me try this stuff. Right. And so here we go, right? And so that that was a, a leap, and you know, and then I and then we hone and polish, and we do this for four years, and then all of a sudden there's another leap. The company gets sold, and 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 in fact, I I, I got to tell you, Ian, um, the world is actually becoming more punctuated equilibrium oriented than it ever has before. And in fact. Uh, you know, we, we can talk about 80-20, um, the world is really becoming 95-5, where, where 5% of what you do produces 95% of the progress, and 5% of the people control 95% of the internet traffic. And those 95-5 moments are usually huge punctuated equilibrium, and there's fewer of them. And they are bigger leaps when they happen. And this is actually how the world is now. And you have to know this um, because in many ways, especially on the Internet, the old 80-20 world is gone. And like, uh, uh, and so, so th- this is a time of huge change. And, 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 and also, in a way, we're in one of these plateaus right now where – Actually, the world isn't changing that much right now, but I really think in my bones that it's about to. And I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know where it's going to come from. But I, I've been sensing this for a year. Like something is about to shift. It could be an economic correction. It could be something in Europe. It could, I, I don't know. But like there's a very pregnant sense of how the world is right now. Yes. Yes. And I mean, have you read The Singularity is Near? Um, you know, um, I know, I know what that is. Um, I have various opinions about it, but, um, you know, I guess that's like a prediction of a massive, you know, tidal wave, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure about that, but, 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 but I, tell me what you're, uh, well, you, I mean, there's it, an inspiration. It, uh, tell me what you're thinking about. Well, I mean, I just think that I, I agree with you that, you know, the world is getting closer and, uh, yeah, and everyone's getting closer, and there's going to be a fundamental shift because there's so much information coming at us. 
Um, I, you know, one thing I always think about when I think about where we are now, and it's something that people don't think about, was when the first alphabet came out and people hmm. first started reading. And the, the, if you read about the history of it, the world was very similar then where people were jumping off roofs because it was too much information for them and their brains could not accept it. And huh. it, it was a very similar time, um, hmm. which we don't think about. We just think oh, there was always an alphabet, just like we think that we always could tell time, which we couldn't. We didn't know how old people were for a long time. So mm. Uh, mm. I, you know, we forget about those points in time, and I agree with you completely. But I also agree. I mean, one of my fundamental tenets is how important people's understanding of marketing is more than ever. To bring it back to that, because. It, we're, you're either being marketed to or you're marketing and you know and the, that's true and and the world i mean we looked we saw in this past election the election was not won on politics i mean never really is but that one was a hundred percent digital marketing yeah. if, you, if you include tv as digital and yeah and which it is now yeah, yeah. i mean and 80, and so to your point i agree we're at this point and i think you know the eighty twenty Pareto's principle plus punctuality equilibrium. People understanding it and people searching for it and being ready for it is absolutely critical. So how yes. how do you say do we harness it? Because it's great to understand it. It's great for us to think about it. And I loved in school learning evolutionary biology. And I'm like, but I'm like, how do we harness this? Because it's great to talk about it. But I feel like if you talk about stuff and don't use it, it's useless. Well. So I, I think um, I th so first you're right about you're either marketing or you're being marketed to and five percent do the marketing and ninety five percent get marketed to um, I think you know Facebook is this big giant hypnosis machine you know it's like when some cartoon where there's a big red light and everybody that drives their car through the big red stoplight gets hypnotized and now they're you know. Oh, must take all my gold jewelry to the Big Ben and drop it in. <laughs> you know, this is kind of like what's going on. And like, well, look, you're either on the receiving end or the delivery end. And I think it's actually it's like a restaurant. If you are a chef at a restaurant, do you spend seven hours a day eating <laughs> or do you make the food and other people eat it okay yep. well like that's that's what your posture towards social media is if you're participating in social media every day you're delusional okay you're delusional i deleted the facebook app off my phone I'm on Facebook maybe once a week for 15 minutes just to see a couple of things I'm interested in. I'm done. Meanwhile, I'm in the Facebook advertising thing every day, man. I'm uh, like, I'm getting customers, man. Okay. I'm, I'm reading my stats. Those stats are way more interesting than my friends bantering about Donald Trump for crying out loud. Okay. <laughs> so that, that's the first thing. The second thing is marketing is is okay the edge is in a much different place than it used to be okay 10 years ago 15 years ago the edge was headlines and bullets and hooks and it was google ads and it was you know like buying clicks and keyword research and that was the edge that's not the edge anymore that's just a minimum requirement okay the edge is two things. You know, people talk about unique selling proposition, USP. Well, USP is the idea of the edge, but it's really not enough. It's really definitive selling proposition. Okay, so a USP is Domino's fresh hot pizza delivered in 30 minutes or less guaranteed. You know, that's like a, okay, that's a 1970s USP. Okay, but a 21st century USP has to be much more compelling than that if you're going to really get ahead. Now, if you're okay running a pizza restaurant and you're content with that, great. But 
you know, you have to come up with like really disruptive USPs that that take whatever is going on to your marketplace to a whole new level. The best way I know how to do that, the 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 person who's defined it better than anybody else I've ever seen, is Richard Koch. And he wrote a book called Simplify. Now, he's famous for writing the original 80-20 principle book, which set my mind on fire a long time ago. Well, Richard is an absolute genius, and he's gone from $4 million to $400 million net worth in 25 years. His ability to invest money is on par with Warren Buffett, but he's 20 years younger. Um, And he writes these brilliant books. And in his book, Simplify, he said basically – there's two different kinds of, of simplifiers. Um, one kind of simplifier is what Apple did to the iPad. If you think about that, that is a definitive selling proposition. If you look at the whole Apple iPhone platform, that is an absolute killer, crushingly good USP. Okay, mm-hmm. and and you and and what it does is it it takes very very complex things and make them so simple that a two-and-a-half-year-old can watch videos on, on a tablet, okay? Now, that's the first kind of simplification. The other kind of simplification is, is what Ford did to automobiles, which was they drove literally 80% of the cost out of the automobile and made the automobile affordable. And that's a completely different way of doing things. If, if you can take a product and make it fundamentally so much more accessible, easier, cheaper, um, you almost, which is never happens without redefining the product or redefining the manufacturing process somehow, you have to do one of those two things. And, and the reality, the 95.5 world that we're in says you're either going to do something disruptive like that even a micro disruption in your industry, you know, whatever, on whatever scale you work on, but you're going to have to do something disruptive or you're an Uber driver, you're a barista at Starbucks, you're going to make $15 an hour and like, and it's kind of one or the other. Um, and and th- that's what it means to be a true 21st century innovative marketer. It's not just good enough like, oh, I have social media, I have some tools, and now everybody can see what I that I had sushi for lunch. You know, that's like, that is not it. So, um, you know, the challenge is out there. I'm just laying out the gauntlet. Um, and I, I think we might know the same person that you were just impersonating. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that person yeah. <laughs> I, I'm there's a about six of them you know one of one of them's a, a liberal one of them's a conservative one of them's a diva and they all like we all know that person yep yeah and what you're talking about too you know i had christopher lockhead on he, they wrote play bigger they talk about it as category design and you can do it on small scale or big scale but it, it is critical and it's critical to your marketing how in, tell me about 80, the eighty twenty marketing book. How does it work? What it, what's the theory behind it? I mean, obviously it's the eighty twenty principle, the Pareto's principle. But uh, you know, how does that work? Well, it started with me discovering that I thought I understood eighty twenty, and I really didn't understand it at all. Okay, so so here's here's what it looks like to think you understand eighty twenty. So I read about it somewhere. This was when I was a sales manager. That job I was telling you about. And they said, 80% of your sales comes from 20% of your customers. And I printed out a QuickBooks report and got on my calculator, like, I'll be darned. They're right. But I just thought of that as kind of a, a rear view mirror business rule of thumb thing. And like, okay, whatever. Yep. And I went on. Well, there's two things that I didn't realize then that I realized later. Uh, I had a giant epiphany, um, and all of a sudden, like, like it was this, fl- like my brain exploded, and I suddenly saw like the world in a whole new way. Is first of all, eighty twenty isn't just this little thing from economics; it is a fundamental law of nature. It is a fundamental law of cause and effect. It is nearly everywhere. It's in the tree in your front yard. It's the traffic in the town. That it's it's how much blood runs through the different sizes of veins in your body. It's the size of craters on the moon. I mean, it is mm-hmm. everywhere. Okay. And secondly, it's fractal. Mm-hmm. 
Now, what does that mean? Fractal is when you have a repeating, 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 repeating pattern, and it's the same pattern in a microscope or a magnifying glass or at normal scale or in a telescope or, you know, you go to any size, any scale, like literally from molecules to stars, and you see the same pattern over and over and over again. That's what fractal is. So what do I mean by fractal? So 8020 says 20% of the roads have 80% of the cars driving on them. But what fractal says is the 20% of the roads that have 80% of the traffic, 20% of those roads still have 80% of that traffic. And then you could take, you could eliminate, you know, and eliminate those two 80%. And an 80-20 still true of whatever you got left. It's still true of what you got left until you're literally to the biggest expressway in Los Angeles. So it's true at every scale. And so there's an 80-20 inside every 80-20. There's another one and another one and another one and another one. And that's where the levers in business are. And so it's like 20% of of your carpet gets 80% of the wear and the foot traffic in your house or your office. Uh, it's on your hard drive. You know, 20% of the files take up 80% of the hard drive space and 20% of those take 80% of the 80%. So it's, it's everywhere. It's like any spreadsheet that you have in business. Well, this actually gives you the ability to make forward predictions, Okay, it's mm. it's no longer so. So let me give you a really practical example. You start a website. You have one product. You sell it for a hundred dollars, and you drive traffic from Google AdWords to buy that product. And you get a hundred people to buy a hundred dollar product, and you sold ten thousand dollars of stuff. Okay, eighty twenty guarantees you that 20% of that same group of people would spend $400 on something that's worth $400 to them. And 20% of the 20% would spend four times $400, which is $1,600. And 20% of the 20% of the 20% would spend $6,400. And I can pretty much guarantee you that this is true. It's almost a law of physics and in fact, if you put a $400 item in front of those people and 20 of the 100 don't buy it, it means there was something wrong with your promotion, something wrong with the USP, it didn't match the market, whatever, because the money is burning a hole in their pocket and it wants to get spent. The world wants to be 80-20. And so, so when, if, if you can really like get this in your bones – you will be able to walk into any situation, identify 80-20s that nobody's ignored, start rearranging things to take advantage of the levers and get more out of it and less coming in. And it also applies to negative stuff. Okay, It also applies as ways that you lose money. So like support tickets and defects and customer complaints and problem clients and stuff like this. It, it means that almost everybody should fire at least 5% of their customers. Mm -hmm. It means that most people don't know it, but 10 or 15 or 20% of what they're selling or who they're selling it to, they're actually losing money, not making money, and they don't know it. It means that you can intentionally lose money selling a product, and if you're strategic about it, you can actually have a huge benefit by doing a loss leader, but you should never do it accidentally. So 80-20 is going to happen whether you know it, like it, trust it, or not, but if you're conscious of it, it will completely change the way that you do your business. Wow. That was awesome. So how? what's the first step in becoming conscious in it? And saying and, and start training your mind to well, you you have to see it. So I, I wrote this book, eighty twenty sales and marketing, and it, and it was because all of a sudden I saw it everywhere. Oh my word! I can't not see it. Like like uh, I went. Uh, I'm at the beach and my kids are playing with a bucket of sand and I and I scoop some sand in my hand and I go. You know what? 
20% of these sand particles take 80% of the space in my hand, you know, and I'm like geeking out on this. <laughs> and, and, and so, so I write this book and it goes, well, so here's how it applies to lead generation. Here's how it applies to Google AdWords. Here's how it applies to sales conversion. Here's how it applies to how you manage your time. Here's how it applies to hiring people. Here's how it applies. Now it's interesting. If you go on Amazon, it's got, it's got like 300 some reviews and it's 4.7 stars. Now, if you read the reviews where people didn't like it, you can tell they didn't get it. They say, oh, this book is just really repetitive and it just keeps saying the same thing all over. Well, yeah, it does. But it says the same thing about a different subject and a different one and a different one and a different one. And if you can get to where you see it, so I get these emails and blog comments and stuff from people. They go, oh, my, oh my word, Perry, like I get it. I see it everywhere. I'm a geek. Like I, I, I tell it to my wife and I – like I'm driving my car and I'm like, oh, there's another 80-20 and there's another one. These, yes, okay, you're infected with it. Okay, now you can see it. See, that means now you can go into any company and you can start fixing their marketing problems because like this is really is the fundamental law of nature. You see it in politics, you see it in the election. Like you could you could go analyze the precincts and the electoral votes. And you will see that 1% of the voting precincts in the United States swung 50% of the election results. Mm -hmm. Okay? The reason reason that Romney lost to Obama was Obama's marketing team had proper focus on the specific demographics about 16 counties in Ohio and some other state, and Romney's team didn't. And marketing – it was marketing. It, it wasn't because the economy was great. It wasn't because people were all satisfied with Obama. It, it literally, it came, it came down to the advanced use of demographic and psychographic marketing. And by the way, Trump's campaign understood this, got this. They were, they were testing millions of different Facebook ads in certain parts mm-hmm. of the United States. And most people never saw any of it. Yep. Yeah. And before the second debate, they, in one area, they tested 180,000, <clears> excuse me, uh, Facebook variations of one ad. It was is, I mean, talk about, dude, and, and you know what? This is, this is how you win. This is like, this is an advanced tip for like Facebook marketing is you have to try lots of completely different things. This is where the edge is right now. Um, and like even the, the traditional direct marketing concept of a control is no longer, um, really valid. Like it's not a or B it's, it's actually like, well, a works really well with this group of people and B works really well with this other group of people and C works really well with this other group of people. So it's, it's a fascinating thing. So where so speaking of eighty twenty, where are where's that twenty percent? Where's that time you're spending right now with your marketing? I mean, obviously you just published a book, eighty twenty of sales yep. marketing, and I'm sure everyone's gonna buy that now. I'm gonna read it as soon as we get off. Uh, <laughs> well, so so you know what I said about, you know, are you are you a consumer in the social media restaurant or are you a chef in the social media restaurant? I think there's a habit that every sane person should cultivate, and here's what it is. The worst way to start your day is wake up, grab your phone, and start looking at stuff. Worst possible way to start your day. Here's the best way to start your day. You get out of your bed you ignore your phone, you don't get on your computer, you get your cup of coffee, you sit down with a notebook, and you pray, meditate, write, journal, plan, center yourself, free write, and like get good with your inner world and think about what you're going to do today and make your priority list like sort of 
you start in a spiritual space and then you end up in a what am I going to do today space. You know, maybe that's when you look at your calendar. Okay. And you make that your sacred time. Okay. Then the next thing for most people, I imagine listening to this, it's going to be some something like either one of two things. You're either the next thing you do is the most creative juice thing that you need to do today that requires the most resourceful use of your mind and your brain and your energy. You know, for some people, it might be writing or shooting that video or, you know, most people listening, you're in a media world. And that's why you're on listening to, to a, a conversation like this. And you got to put your, you got to inject your best energy in or that and or you are checking your stats and you're calling and refining and testing whatever it is that you need to call, refine and test. And then after you do all of that, then you check your emails, then you have meetings, then you deal with people you cannot cannot, cannot run your life reactively. And you shouldn't be on Facebook until after 5 p.m. at all. Just the Facebook ads manager. Yeah, your Facebook ads manager, and that's fine. Uh, you know, I got the Facebook ads app on my phone. I do that. Uh, I'm telling you, you, you have to do this. If you are a chef in the kitchen and not a 380-pound fat person shoveling food into their mouth in the restaurant for seven hours... You know, like, look, there's a lot of Americans, they are they are the equivalent of the 500-pound guy at Red Lobster uh, who's there all afternoon. Yep. Okay? They're intellectually flaccid. They don't know how to think. They don't know how to critically examine anything. Um, they don't read or study anything deep. They react. They can't have no conception of their difference between an opinion and a fact. They make up all their own facts. They live in an echo chamber. You know, if if that's you, your life is not going to turn out good. Yep. Um, and frankly, and you got to remember, you're selling to these people. Unfortunately, this is the fact. Um, and so you got to get got to do a good job. And that and that's a, another very interesting point that people have to have to remember is you are not your audience, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are not, and that's something to get across. But I, you, you made, look, go ahead. You no, know, go ahead. Uh, I, uh, I was going to say, you know, you made an interesting point, and uh, that's a very interesting point. We besides reading all the business books and all this stuff, you've got to exercise your mind in other areas. Right. And I mean, you and you ha- it's it's like working out. It's cross training. You can't be focused because that part of your brain will become flaccid. And you've done it with evolutionary biology. Yeah. Let me let me tell you um, something that, that I've done with my customers and then we'll, we'll talk about the evolution stuff. Um, about a year ago, I started telling my subscribers and my members you should read something written before Gutenberg every day. Now, why did I say that? Well, so now, you know, today we got Twitter and everything, and, like, you can tell the world what you had for sushi, lunch, and and and, and it's a push of a button, okay? Think back before the printing press. Anything that got mass distributed had to be copied on scrolls. When the Romans came and burned your city down, you had to hide the scrolls so they didn't get destroyed. Um, so anything that anything that made the cut before Gutenberg had to be really, really, really good. And in fact, there's a lot of intellectual snobs that think that people back then were stupid. That's only because the intellectual snobs are stupid and they've never actually read or appreciated, you know. And so, so I tell people to do this um, uh, because it, it stood the test of time. Look, you know, it's still around now and it was written in 500 BC. It must be pretty good. Well, you know, 
I told him that because I just thought it was true. Like, I thought you should do it. Well, it kind of caught on. I've got a lot of members now who are like, dude, like Seneca from, you know, <laughs> 1900 years ago is like really awesome. And, you know, or they're reading the Old Testament or they're reading the New Testament or they're reading the um, the Art of War by Sun Tzu or whatever. And this stuff is all really, really good. Okay. Well, you know, these people, they're outside of your space and time. They're outside of your culture. You're dealing with, like, the eternal principles. And and here here's what will happen if you do that. What will happen if you do that and you kind of immerse yourself in that level of thinking is you will watch a 30-second thing on the news and you will have a better understanding of what actually happened than if you read the BBC version, the the Economist version, the CNN version, the USA Today version, you know, because most of that information is not accurate and is not based on a, a true understanding of humanity. But humans haven't changed. We're, we're the same creatures we've we've been for millennia, and so and so like this is how you get out of that echo chamber. Um, now. Then you you know uh, is it okay if I talk about the evolution stuff? I'd love to love it. So so let me give you an idea of how this started. So um so I got all these marketing books and I've also got an Ethernet book from two thousand two, um and then I got this science book. Like why is Perry writing a science book? Um, why does an electrical engineer give a flying rip about? evolutionary biology well it starts um when i get in an argument with my brother in in the back of a bus in china and and we have the argument that everybody's had sometime or another we had the creation evolution argument and i go brian Look at the hand at the end of your arm. I go, I'm an engineer. I built a lot of things. I go, this is a fine piece of engineering. Like, this is really good stuff, man. And I go, you don't think this is a result of random accidental, you know, billiard balls banging around the universe, do you? And he's like, hold on. And like, yeah, I do think it's billiard balls banging around the universe. And most biologists would agree with me. And you're wrong. And oh, my word, like. Well, I didn't know. I mean, I had to be really honest with myself. You know, most people at that point, they lapse into some kind of denial or defense mechanisms or whatever. And I said, you know what? I'm going to find out. Like, I'm going to seriously find out. I have an electrical engineering degree. I know science. I know how to read scientific papers. I, I like... I I don't know biology, but I I know I know how you play the game. Here we go. Well, what I found was so much more interesting than anything I was hearing like anything you were getting on the bookstore shelf. Let's put it that way. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, like on the bookstore shelf, you kind of got the creationist side and you've got the darwinist side. Well, they're both about a third right. They're both anywhere from a third to two-thirds wrong, and they're both leaving out all the interesting stuff. Now, you said you liked Stephen Jay Gould. He was a paleontologist at Harvard. He died some time ago. He was on to some really good parts of it. Uh, he didn't live long enough to really like put it together the way it's been put together in the last 10 years. But this whole thing is so much more fascinating than any of these sides are arguing about. It's not even funny. Um, really, the extremes in this debate uh, have been doing more harm than good for the last 100 years. So let me give you a kind of an idea of what we're talking about. So anybody's been a doctor like, okay, here's these antibiotics, take your antibiotics. And what do they say? Finish the bottle until it's gone. Right mm-hmm. now. Why do they, why do they tell you that? Why do you have to finish your antibiotics all the way gone? I honestly don't know. 
Okay. It's because if you don't kill those suckers dead, they're going to come back with a vengeance and they're going to be worse two weeks from now. Why? Because they develop resistance to antibiotics and then you can't kill them anymore. Why do they develop resistance? Well, here's what's going on. The old school traditional Darwinian explanation that's in almost any textbook is, well, you know, there's accidental mutations in the bacteria DNA and occasionally one of those accidental copying errors makes it better. And so eventually, after millions of bacteria, you're going to get some that are better, and they out-survive, and it gets better. And that's evolution. Well, that's not really what's going on. Here's what's going on. That bacteria is swimming around. you got strep. It's a strep bacteria. And here comes this antibiotic. Oh, my word. This antibiotic is killing me. It's leaking through my cell wall. If I don't do something, I'm dead. What can I do? Can I pump the poison out? What can we do here? It will go look around. It will find another cell that has a pump. Well, cells have this thing called a plasmid. It's really a Dropbox folder. It's for file sharing, okay? Um, most cells have a, um, a pocket of a copy of their own DNA, um, and it's for the purpose of sharing with other cells. And it will find another cell that has a pump. It will suck in that code. It'll read the DNA, find the part that codes for a pump, splice it out, insert it into its own DNA, read the code, build a pump, pump the poison out, update its Dropbox folder, share the code with other strep bacteria, and divide off new bacteria that have pumps. And that can happen in 30 minutes. That's amazing. That's evolution. Yeah. That's how evolution really works. It is not random. It is not accidental. It is not blind and purposeless. We do not live in a blind and purposeless, meaningless world. We live in a highly competitive, highly intelligent, meaningful world. And even the bacteria in our bodies are smarter than programmers at Google. Every cell in your body is capable of better software programming than any engineer that you could hire on monster.com. And this is what nobody is telling you. Okay? So the current version of evolution that you hear is two-thirds wrong. It plays to an atheist narrative. It sweeps all the interesting questions under the table. It sweeps all the interesting technology off the table. It sweeps all the interesting discoveries of the last 50 years of molecular biology under the rug. And it's just not really correct. Um, in, in very broad outlines, it's correct. And the basic pro evolutionary progression is correct. But the meaning of it has been all wrong. And I was astounded. I mean, I went super deep into the scientific literature and hundreds of papers and hundreds of books. I mean, I got all these books, you know, that those... <laughs> those two or three whole shelves up there, those are all evolutionary biology books, and I've read most of them. Um, the world we live in is so much more fascinating than you have been told. Yep. I said, this is, this is the biggest untold story in the history of science. Somebody's got to tell it. So I wrote a book called Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. Awesome. And... I love that. I'm excited to read it. It's important. You know, I, I remember when I first came across punctuated equilibrium and then started getting into this and that it was about the same time, uh, uh, you were losing your job, 1997. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this, uh, this is important. And you realize it's important, but now what do we do with it? What do we do? Oh, with yes. Okay, so remember what I said about fractals. Like, you, you have micro patterns like, okay, the tree in your front yard. So here's an example of fractals. The tree, you know, you stand back 100 feet away and it's got this big branching pattern. But then you zoom into a branch and you zoom into a twig and you zoom into a leaf. But you can keep zooming and there's the veins in the leaf and then there's the veins in the veins in the leaf. And, 
you know, you can go all the way down to cells and it's branching, branching, branching. Okay. So it's like a universal pattern, that branching pattern, it's macro, it's micro, it's everything in between. Punctuated equilibrium is one of these fractal patterns that everything is like this on every scale and it's part of life. So here's punctuated equilibrium and technology. For, for, you know, millennia, the only way to hear the sound of somebody's voice is if they're in the room. And then Thomas Edison invents the phonograph, okay? So then the phonograph gradually, gradually improves by tiny little increments for years and years. But then all of a sudden, we got reel-to-reel tapes, you know? And then those improve by little tiny increments. And then we got cassette tapes. And then we got eight tracks. And then we got CDs. And And in all of these cases, you have it goes along at a certain rate. And then it jumps. And then it goes along... And then it jumps, and everything is like this. Diseases like this. Um, healing, in many ways, is like this. Business is like this. Technological innovation is like this. And if you get that, like this is how the universe rolls, and like the road to success is not any kind of a straight line. It's always very zigzaggy and chaotic. It's not completely random. But it's also not predictable as such either. You can get okay with this. You can get okay with the fact that, you know, 95% of the stuff you try, it's not going to work. And 5% is going to go supernova. It just makes, like, real actual reality is so much friendlier than when you're trying to shadow box with what you imagine the world to be. And it's not that way. <laughs> yes. And, and yeah, and, and not being frustrated because things aren't going your way, right? Uh, right. The way you think. And it so the same pattern. It's in the history of life. It's, you know, the emergence of species, and and you got to understand, like these cells are really working hard to survive, just like you. Okay, like nobody's immune. We've all got to run for our lunch money. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> all of us. So true, and. Uh, so, uh, you know, we've got a little bit of time left, and you're an incredible direct response marketing expert. I'd love to have you on again because I want to talk direct, direct response versus branding sometime. Okay, Cause sure. Of, but uh, what I want to say is you you have this mind. <clears throat> Obviously, you've seen all the trends. You've seen a lot of things happening, and now you understand punctuating equilibrium, evolutionary, 80-20. What do you see as the thing that someone can actually do in their business now, putting this all together? Is it learn the 80-20 and then adapt? What is it? Okay. Um, so, you know, we, we've gotten pretty high in the stratosphere today. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's put our boots on the ground and just kind of, you know, center ourselves a little bit. It actually starts with knowing yourself. And, um, you know, when... When I spent that two years at that sales job, and by the way, the bosses I had were wonderful and they were great people. It was just a mis- it was a mismatch, okay? Um, I was trying to sell in a way that was totally counter to my natural persuasion DNA. Mm-hmm. And I... Boy, I've had a lot of time to think about this. And then having, you know, I've consulted in 300 different industries and worked with thousands of entrepreneurs. And I've, I, I've seen a lot of patterns. And, and, and a few years ago, I said, you know what? Like a lot of people in our corner of the world really think the Colby test is a super useful tool for uh, judging how people work and how people do. I said, we need a Colby test for how people persuade. And so I created this tool called the marketing DNA test. And what the marketing DNA test does is, is it's, it's the test I wish I'd taken 20 years ago when I went into sales so that I would know what kind of sales situation to seek out because they're, they're so totally different. So there are some people let's call them hostage negotiators. You throw them into a situation and they get a silver tongue and they will somehow manage to, 
you know, sweet talk their way out. They'll negotiate the deal. They'll work it out. They'll sell the stuff. They'll get the order. There's other people like there's a lot of copywriters. They'll sit in a cave for two months crafting some perfect piece of copy. And when it's just exactly right, they'll like send it out and reel in all these, you know. And they don't want to talk to anybody, right? You know, you got people that pluck your heartstrings. You got people that got charts and graphs and numbers. There's all these different modalities of persuasion. You need to be selling the way that you sell to people that buy the way that you sell with a product that harmonizes the way that you sell. And so I made, I made this test. Now, we sell it on at marketingdnatest.com for $37, but there's a back door in the 80-20 book that lets you take it for free. Uh, so you can buy the 80-20 book and you can take the marketing DNA test. I really suggest that you take this seriously. And, you know, you, you ask me, okay, so what do you do? Start with who you are and how you roll and what your natural grooves are. You know, very few people ever succeed in some way that's fundamentally incompatible with who they are as a person. Okay, just about every successful person you ever see, there's kind of a natural rhythm between their personality and the business that they own and the product they sell and the customers they have. You really need to make this congruent, okay? Mm -hmm. And it really starts with you. And if you're in the wrong situation, you need to get out. And like, uh, look, I just been having this conversation with my daughter who is an assistant sales manager at this company. And it's not a fit. And at this point, she's only still assistant sales manager out of guilt. Yep. Well, we all, life's too short. Like, she's 21. Like, trust, okay, I'm 48. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) you don't have to get out tomorrow. Give them your two weeks notice. But, you know, you you need to do you need to be selling a different way, not doing that. That's so, and it comes, it's, it's more insidious. And I think that this marketing DNA is a very important for business owners because it, this, once again, that fractal thing, you know, if you read Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath and his study, and it shows that um, the person that's middle of the class at Harvard does worse than the person that's head of the class at a, at a third tier school. And I've mm. written, and I've written about this because, uh, you know, it, it's it's because the person that's in the middle of the class at Harvard is trying to be the person in front of the class instead of trying to be themselves. And the yeah. per, and whoever's at the head of the class is just being themselves. And it's the same thing in business and marketing. The people that are succeeding are just being themselves. And if you're trying to be, yeah. and I just had this conversation with my wife because. You know, we get a lot of coaches that come in to us as potential, you know, and they're, you know, they're big names, but they're like, I want to be the next Tony Robbins. I'm like, no one's going to be the next Tony Robbins because it, 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 he's Tony Robbins. He designed the category and you won't be Tony Robbins. Yeah. And it's, that's actually going to kill your business faster than it, you trying to achieve that. And that's where I think that yeah. modeling discussion is a little dangerous too. When someone yeah. says, I'm going to model something, you got to be careful. It's, it's fine to go, oh, I need a pump. Go grab that pump out of that person's toolkit and put it in and make it part of your DNA. But don't try and be that cell that's dying over there. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and so it's a lot of it is about picking your battles. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, I need, to, I need to be fighting these eight battles. Well, actually, you need to be fighting the two that you're equipped to win, and you need to pick battles that you can win, or at least battles that you have a decent shot at winning. I mean, it's okay. It's okay to take a risk. Here, here's another one. One long shot and three fish in a barrel. Okay? Yep. Okay. Three things like... I'll make, I'll make a solid buck doing this. I'll make a solid buck doing that. I'll make a solid buck doing that. I will pay my rent. I'll be okay. You know, I won't be stressed out. And then I'll take this one thing and shoot for the moon. And what a lot of entrepreneurs, and I'm, all, I'm always tempted to get drug into this because I'm you know, so into new ideas, is I try like three long shots and one fish in a barrel, which that's, that's a good recipe for divorce. I'll just let you know. Like if, (laughs) if you want your wife to like throw your clothes out on the front yard, just do three long shots and one fish in a barrel for the next year. And it'll probably happen for you. Yes. 
I, I tell all my clients, I'm like, let's find the singles and then one home run. Let's yeah. go, you know, single, single, single home run. And yeah. you grind it out. And once in a while, you're going to get that big hand. Oh, that's it. Perry, it's been awesome having you on the show. I know you got to go. Uh, but man, I definitely love to have you back. We could geek out on marketing yeah, and science. And, let's do it again. Yeah, uh, this for has sure. been great. It's awesome. So awesome to talk to you. So inspiring. If you, don't forget, go to perrymarshall.com, get the book, 8020 Sales and Marketing, Evolution 2.0. I mean, I, I'm a proponent. All of you all listening to this, listen to other stuff. I'm not just listening to marketing podcasts all the time. No. No. I mean, oh, Evolution, Stealing Fire right I, now is my favorite. I can't tell you how much I learned by doing this evolution project. And by the way, it was it was a bitch. It was the hardest thing I have ever tackled in my life by by a long margin, okay? But like for example, it led to me creating a tool called the Swiss Army knife for advertising. Uh, which I don't have time to go into. It, it's brought a lot of innovations into my business thinking. Um, you know, you, so y- you should, yes, if if you're like obsessively reading every business bestseller that comes along and, and you don't, like you're not interested in anything else, I think you're making a mistake. Like the world is more interesting than like one obsessive thing that nurtures your insecurity. Like take a chill pill, be yourself, pick your battles, be interested in some other things, and and, and listen to Ian's garlic marketing show. How's that? <laughs> I love it. And we're going to take that clip, and we're going to use it everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Perry. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Everyone go to perrymarshall.com. And thank you very much for taking Perry and I on your journey. And make sure to expand your horizons. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.